This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast, where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of January 29th, 2024. We are in the semis and finals of the 2024 wildcard group one. Yeah, but we will wrap them up this week, which is nice. We'll get yeah. we'll get to the end of it. Feels mm-hmm. complete and start next week fresh. But before we get into that, Emily, how's it going? It's going all right. Let me apologize in advance for any background noise we're recording. And I thought that it was going to be quiet in my office, but there are shrieking children out on the playground and we've got to just go with it. Oh, uh, how dare children have fun? I, I'm glad they're having fun. I just thought that we were going to I'm stop not. having fun about five minutes ago, but they're they're still out there. They're having fun. <sighs> good for them. Yeah. Uh, and things are good. I'm about to have hmm. a new nibbling. I've got a sister who's in the hospital right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes, baby Z is arriving. Things are things are any, pretty early. Any minute. It's early days, but we're expecting Still. baby Z sometime in the next day or so. Sure. We're in yeah. what we call or what I call the splash zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. How about you? How are things going? I'm doing well. I am getting into the new job and it seems to be good. It feels comfortable. Good people I'm working with, so I'm excited for what it's going to be. I also will have the flexibility to go and do some music coaching at a, at one of the high schools nearby. Neat. Yeah. All right. We have Jeopardy to talk about. So it's probably a good idea to start with Monday, January 29th. The uh, first game of the semifinals for this wild card group. We have the contestants Martha Bath, a retired CPA from Seattle, Washington. Andy Tyrrell, a political science and international relations professor from San Diego, California, and yeah. Lipsai, a professor of American literature originally from Rockford, Illinois. Jeopardy round categories are the country that borders both, where there's a will, women in sports, 19th century authors, going to the dogs, and it ends with you, you in quotation marks. The letter mm-hmm. U, not the word. Yep. I feel like we had fair number of things that connected to deep dives and quizzes mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. including the thousand dollar level of it ends with you in 1932 members of the Australian army fought the great, this war against a flightless feathered foe. Martha knew that I didn't know it when it was in the quiz. That's the emu or the emu. Great emu war. Emu. Yes. Yeah. Just a, just a hilarious bit of history there. And that is, that is very, it's very funny. And also I it's just, I reading the descriptions of like emus are really good at taking bullets. It's like, oh, 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 no, <laughs> that's that shouldn't be something we should ever know about pretty much anything. But yeah, apparently, apparently they have a really efficient ratio of ammunition to death. It's so funny. We had a miss and rebound at the $400 level of women in sports. In 2019, FIFA named her Women's Player of the Year. In 2020, she proposed to girlfriend Sue Bird. Lloyd tried, who is Wambach? Her wife, I think, is Glennon Doyle. Glennon Doyle, yes. Yeah, Yeah. like spiritual, like memoir, like self-help figure, Glennon Doyle. So... 
Martha got the rebound. And then there was a little confusion because she she clearly had like read it, but didn't know or remember how to pronounce it. She said who is Megan Rapinoe. It's Rapino, but R-A-P-I-N-O-E. I guess they decided that that oi was potentially a pronunciation of that oe so that's a yeah they, they ended up accepting it yeah i'm okay with that yeah like uh we had two misses and a and a correct response at the 600 level of the country that borders both finland and russia lloyd guessed what sweden it's a decent guess but that only borders finland it doesn't border russia and he guessed what's estonia that I guess is also a, a decent guess, but I don't think it goes far enough north to get to Finland. That's Norway. Martha got it. Norway lays claim to all of the top of Scandinavia. So if you just go all the way north, it reaches all the way over to Russia. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is in 19th century authors. It's at the $400 level. And Andy finds it late in the round at pick number 25. It's a three-way tie. At three-way tie. Three-way tie <laughs> at 3,800. So Andy wagers everything, and he gets the clue. The riverboat in Frontierland at Disneyland is named for him, and he gets it correct. That's Mark Twain. I don't know if there's a way to figure that out if you don't know the Disneyland fact. I guess I don't. I don't know what what nineteenth century author would you associate with a riverboat? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes. I sense. guess. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So at the end of the jeopardy round andy has kept his lead and he's at 8400 with lloyd at 3400 and martha at 4200 and the double jeopardy categories are myth around and find out tv theme songs lost in space dd in quotation marks historic names and booze clues I thought the $400 level of DD was a little bit weird. Silver Star recipient Lloyd J. Austin III heads this U.S. government entity. Martha got it. That's the Department of Defense. Like, I recognize that the capitalized Ds are Department and Defense, but usually it's referred to as DOD. And none of the other clues had a D of D kind of like yeah. format to the correct response. So it, it, point. It, it made me... Made me question myself when I, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure that's the Department of Defense, but is there a different like, term or a different thing I'm thinking of? But mm-hmm. all I'm asking for is consistency. That's it. Yeah. I enjoyed the myth category. Mm, Just, yeah. It was fun. We had a, we had a decent mix. $2,000 level was about Egyptian myth, although I felt like it was a little easy for 2000 In Egyptian myth, set went all Edgar Allan Poe on this bro of his and put him in a coffin while he was still alive. That's Osiris Lloyd got it. I feel like if anybody knows any Egyptian myths, it's going to be Osiris. I feel like that's the the one that people know. Mm-hmm. But then we got some Norse and we even got at the $400 level in an Iroquois tale, a girl runs off with a handsome Chad only to find out he is one of these slithery creatures. And Andy got it. That's a snake. Mm. Figuratively or, or literally, I think. Either way, not a good idea. Yeah. Daily Double number two is at the $2,000 level of booze clues. I enjoyed this one. It's mm-hmm. the third pick in the round. Martha finds it. She's at 5400 Lloyd's at 3400 Andy's at 8400 She wagers 3000 Gets the clue. Originally a celebratory drink among hunters. This German herbal liqueur features a stag on its bottles. Again, I thought this was a little easy for the $2,000 clue because it, like, it gives you a lot of ways to get there. It's like... What has a stag on its bottle? Name a German herbal liqueur you might know. And also, 
if you know German, Jaeger is hunter. So Mm -hmm. she got it right with what is Jaegermeister. Yeah. I appreciated Ken's response of you just figured out booze clues, which (laughs) was great, but also would have sailed over the head of anybody who didn't get the reference. Right. Like it was very it was very natural. And Daily Double number three is in Lost in Space at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Lloyd finds it. Pick number 18. He's got fourteen thousand two hundred at this point. He's in the lead with Andy at eleven thousand six hundred and Martha at ten thousand even. He wagers two thousand and his clue is this astronaut, there's a picture, who remained in orbit during a 1969 moon landing, lost a camera during an earlier mission in 1966. And he does like like he's weighing two possibilities with his hands, but then he gets it right. It's Michael Collins. Yeah. And that is kind of near the start of Lloyd's like push. He gets himself out to a pretty good lead, but then Andy does some climbing. So Going into Final Jeopardy, Lloyd's at 19,800, Andy's at 16,800, and Martha's at 11,200. Those are good scores. Final Jeopardy category is historical fiction, and the clue is Stan Lee said the alias using title character of this novel set during the French Revolution was the first superhero I read about. Martha wrote, what is Sidney Carton? Which they were looking for the novel. but That's mm-hmm. the wrong novel anyway. And so she wagered 4,000, fell to 7,200. Andy got it correct with what is the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is a book I have never read. And I probably should at some point. Yeah, I've never read it either. <laughs> but he wagered 6,001, goes up to 22,801. And Lloyd made a cover bet of 14,000, but wrote, what is the Count of Monte Cristo? Yeah, that was my guess. And I was like... Man in the Iron Mask is like oh. Iron Man, so it must be right. That's a great guess. I'd have been. I, I mean, it's I would an have been very guess. upset that it's. Yeah, if I lost money on it, I'd have been like, "No, that should be right." Damn it! Yeah, because it feels clever. It's it's such a clever guess. It's just unfortunate it doesn't happen to be right. Correct. Uh, yeah. But... So Andy moves on to the finals. Yeah. And that brings us to Tuesday, January 30th, with the contestants Robbie Ramirez, a writer from Orlando, Florida, Alec Chow, a management and program analyst originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Juveria Zahir, a psychiatrist from Whitby, Ontario, Canada. And the Jeopardy Round categories are Van Halen, Hot for Creature, Colleges and Universities, Chains, Four-Letter Interjections, and Harlem Hellfighters. These are presented by Robin Roberts about the new series on the History Channel that she executive produced. I was made starkly aware that I know very little about Van Halen from the Van Halen category. Yes. Although I did get the the $800 clue. The purpose of Van Halen's writer saying no to the brown color of this candy was to ensure their complicated contract got read. That's... Yep. Javeria got it. That's the, like the classic story about green rooms and contracts and stuff. Mm. That's M&M's. But. Yeah. That was covered in a This American Life episode many years back, Mm. which is how I knew it. And part of the background story there was they have this very complicated setup with lots of potentially dangerous equipment, you know, (laughs) and like pyrotechnics and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so if it's not done attentively and in accordance with the instructions, like really bad stuff could happen. And so the brown Mm -hmm. M&Ms isn't just the litmus being test difficult kind of yeah it's like a, it's like a canary in the coal mine like if there are brown m&ms in the green room we need to go line check everything to make sure that mm-hmm. like this setup is safe and going to function 
which is kind of cool, I think. Yeah. I feel like Robbie missed a real opportunity at the $400 level of four-letter interjections. This interjection is the first thing Lil John says on Usher's hit of the same title. And he knew it was yeah, but he mm-hmm. could have given us his best Lil John impression. It's like, you have one chance, my man. You're on, you're on camera wouldn't? for... Who wouldn't take a shot at a Lil John impression on national television? Me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe. I feel like I wouldn't be able to not because I don't think of that song's title as yeah. Yeah. I think fair. of it as yeah. Yeah. Not going not gonna to do mm-hmm. it for free on the podcast. Maybe I'll put that <laughs> behind, the, behind the paywall on the Patreon if you guys really want that. Not to get like, you know, into a, you know, wade into a deep political argument. But do you think the people who are really up in arms about keeping Columbus Day, Columbus Day, know the $800 level of chains? I do not. The clue is in August 1500, he and his brothers were sent back to Spain in chains for mismanagement and brutality in Hispaniola. Alec got it. That's Columbus because he Mm -hmm. did a bad job. Yep. Like Um, morally bad, not just like business wise. Yeah. I, I suspect they do not. And at least where I grew up, a lot of the like pro Columbus Day sentiment is about like Italian American heritage. But like, there are so many amazing Italian Americans. Why do we have to double down on this one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Daily double number one is in colleges and universities at the six hundred dollar level. Juveria finds it only pick number four. She's at zero. Alex at eight hundred. Robbie's at zero. She wagers a thousand and gets the clue. The land donated to start this ACC sports powerhouse was home to the estate of John C. Calhoun. And fans of the podcast would know that that's Clemson University. Yep. I believe you have talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But Juveria did not. So she drops to negative 1,000. However, no worries because she just turns it right around at the end of the round. Javeri is up to 7,400. Alec is at 1,200. Robbie's at 1,600. And the double jeopardy categories are... Pope fiction, first names the same, television, engineering, around the world, and starts with soft G. I am not personally invested in the papacy, but I thought the Pope fiction category was fun. It was fun. Uh, Yeah. yeah. The $1,600 level is on my maybe someday I'll read that list in Donna Wolfolk. Cross's novel about the legend of the ninth century woman known as Pope Her. She passes as Brother John. And Juveria got that one. That's Pope Joan. We had Angels and Demons by Dan Brown at the $1,200 level. Nobody tried the $400. Vicarious Christi in Latin. This title is also the title of a novel about a Medal of Honor winner turned Chief Justice turned Pope. And that's a Vicar of Christ. I wonder if it was just too straightforward, like you just drop the Latin endings off, basically. Yeah, that's what would have, I mean, it, I didn't get it because I just assumed that there would be some was, translation involved. Right. I, I, yeah, I just thought it was pointing at something else. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, a real triple stumper, a triple miss at the $800 level of around the world. Explore the cobblestone streets of this historic city on the Tagus River and visit the El Greco Museum. They guessed European cities, so that's good. <laughs> um, Javeria guessed what is Lisbon. Does the Tagus go through Lisbon? I need to look this up. Tagus River. I'm pretty sure. I think it does. Yeah, it goes. It empties at Lisbon. Okay, yeah. So the Tagus does go through Lisbon. 
so it's not not the the worst guess. But El Greco is associated with Spain. Alec mm-hmm. guessed what's Madrid. Pretty sure Madrid isn't on uh, the Tagus. And Robbie guessed what is Athens. Maybe going with you know the idea of El Greco, but his city is Toledo or Toledo mm-hmm. if you're in Ohio. Yeah, Toledo, historic city known for El Greco and metalwork. Daily Double number two is in starts with soft G at the $1,600 level. Robbie finds it at pick number 18. He's at 8400 at this point. Juveria is up at 17000 and Alex is behind him at 5600 He, with great trepidation, makes it a true Daily Double. And he gets the clue. In part, this herb's name is from the Chinese for human being, and its roots make it look like one. And he figures out that it is ginseng. Good good pull. I was not yeah. getting anywhere close to that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and Daily Devil number three is over in Pope Fiction at the $800 level. It's the 24th pick. Robbie finds this one as well. He's at 17,600. Javeri is at 17,800. And Alec is at 9,200. He wagers 4,600. Gets the clue, Andrew Greeley's novel of papal election has this colorful title, the signal that the new pope has been chosen. And he gets it correct with what is the white smoke or white smoke. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Robbie has taken the lead and he's at 22,600 or kept the lead rather. And Juveria is at 18,200. Alec is not out of contention. He's at 10,000. And the final Jeopardy category is Names in History, where we get the clue the scientific name of Jamaica's ackee fruit honors this captain who brought it to England in 1793. Alec correctly responds, who is Bly, Captain Bly? He's wagered everything. So he goes up to 20,000. And Juveria gets it correct as well. Alec wished happy birthday to his dad. Juveria gave a shout out. Love you, Hannah and Zara. And Juveria's wagered 7,000. That puts her at 25,200. Robbie missed it from the lead. He tried who is cook. Yeah. Mm. And made a $14,000. That's a little over a cover bet. So he drops down to 8,600. And Juveria is the finalist coming out of this game. Yes, indeed. Exciting game. Juveria had a 19,200 Coriat score. Just insane. That is wild. Watching her run through the second chance and then the champion's wild card has been great. She is exciting to watch and definitely I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of pulling for her. So. Yeah. All right. That brings us to Wednesday when we have the contestants Ron Chung, an economics professor from Lakewood, Ohio. Aaron Portman, a high school English teacher from Naperville, Illinois. And Michael Menkes, a data analyst from Kansas City, Missouri. Jeopardy round categories are the English past. Platforming, Silent H, A Square Meal, The State's Most Populous County, and Questionable Movies. We were just complaining, or I was, about Silent H's, what, like last week? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit, yeah, on on chorus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we have that same issue here, again, with Anchor. Mm -hmm. But, okay, I guess we are counting those H's as silent. I guess. If you took the H out, I guess if you have a word like rancor, R-A-N-C-O-R, it like functions linguistically the same, right? Yeah. All right. And so, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll allow it. The 
$600 level of platforming I liked to help him do this job. Leopold Stokowski designed his own podium, round, with steps, and covered in non-slip rubber. That's conducting, or being an orchestra conductor. Ron got that. If you watch the old Fantasia, he is the conductor that Mickey interacts with. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. I believe he was also in charge of the Philadelphia Orchestra for a long time. I think. I might be wrong about that. Hmm. I'm not going to resurrect our Triscuits bit. But I will note that I was happy to see the $200 level of a square meal. The original flavor of this century-old woven cracker brand has three ingredients, whole grain wheat, canola, oil, and sea salt. Sadness. Aaron Aaron got that one. Sea salt. Right. Right. (laughs) Notice how none of those are, like, moisture. It's true. Or they should have another one that's, like, anesthetic for your tongue that has been destroyed by... Ugh. All right, you said you're not going to get. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to pick a fight. I don't want to do that. That's some, They're I'm electricity sorry. biscuits. Cool. You know, <laughs> you're not supposed to from. put that in you, right? Like, we, we <laughs> teach our children not to put electricity in them. I think they're made with electricity. I think that was like the. I, I know, baked by. Ele- yeah. I, mm-hmm. I know what it is. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> More triscuits uh, for me. Yeah, fine. Enjoy, I guess. I will. Well, good. I'm glad. $1,000 level of a square meal, though this revered San Francisco chocolatier sells squares of the sweet with peppermint bark or raspberry filling. And I should have known, as Michael did, that it was Ghirardelli, but I got so excited to be like, I've heard of C's candies that I didn't really read that clue. Yeah, San Francisco should point you to Ghirardelli Ghirardelli pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where are C's candies from? Not sure, but I mean, there's like Ghirardelli Square... Yeah. Uh, in San Francisco. Wait, C's Candies is headquartered in New York? No, it's not. Ooh, this is embarrassing for you, Emily. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I feel like I've mostly heard about that from West Coast people. But yeah, no, I should have gotten that it was Ghirardelli. Oh, no, no. It's headquartered in San Francisco. Oh, well, this is embarrassing for me now because I made I made fun of you. Yeah. We can just take it all out. <laughs> I will. I'll just <laughs> take out the of parts. Editing. That make me sound dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That is the beauty of editing. Huh? There's another siren going by. Questionable movies was all movies that have a question as the title. They did pretty well on those. They got, oh, brother, where art thou? And are we there yet? And dude, where's my car? And the Breaking Bad star who was in a film called Why Him? That's Brian Cranston. They did not, however, get the $600 level. In this 1962 film, former child star Betty Davis lives in a crumbling Hollywood mansion with her invalid sister. Ron tried what is What About Eve? That's all about Eve, and it's not a question. But Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is this movie, which is an unsettling one. Right. I was going to say, like... Why him? Dude, where's my car? Are we there yet? Very much like slapstick kind of, in my opinion, throwaway comedies. And then you're hit with whatever happened to Baby Jane. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is in Silent H at the $800 level. Pick number seven. Ron finds it. He's at 3200 Michael's at 1600 Aaron's at zero. And he bets it all. Gets a clue from the Dutch for permission. It's a leave of absence granted to a member of the military, and he doesn't know it. He doesn't get there. That is furlough. Mm-hmm. 
Although, I, th I don't know, for me, like, if, if you are furloughed as a teacher or something, usually that meant, yeah, like, that's different. We're going to be closed because we don't have enough money to pay for operations. So, yeah, I've encountered it in the military context. Like, my brother-in-law was deployed while there was a baby on the way, and he was furloughed for the birth of his son. That gotcha. was that was some years back. That kid's, that kid's heading to college soon. He was in <laughs> Afghanistan. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that's why that came back to me, I think. Nice. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Michael's at 7,400. Aaron's at 600. Ron's at 2,800. Double Jeopardy categories are the English past tense, opera, business and finance history, tech talk, mountains of literature, and artful Rogers. The $800 level of Artful Rogers. This movie critic tried his thumb at screenwriting with the 1970 film Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And Michael got that correct. That's Roger Ebert. Mm -hmm. That was a bad movie. Mm. He was a much better film critic than film writer. Yeah. We had a couple of reversals in the English past tense. And I noticed both of those, you know, kind of going by and was like, I think those clues are too vague. I don't think they're pinned. The $400 level, this irregular past tense verb, is what I did to start our game of whist. Ron tried what is led and was ruled incorrect. And then Aaron came in with what is dealt. They eventually reversed that and gave Ron credit for led. I was like, I don't know. I think one leads in whist. Okay. Um, obviously, dealing comes before the start of play. I think it's fair to argue that like, well, dealing isn't part of the game, right? You don't start the game by dealing. You start the game by leading. Yeah. And the $800 level, this irregular past tense verb can mean completely tired out and exhausted. And Michael tried what is exhaustive, which doesn't fit for a few reasons. And then Ron tried what is worn and was ruled incorrect. They were looking for spent, but again, before Daily Double number three, at the same time that they reversed the other ruling, they reversed this one and gave him credit for Warren. Those could have used a little bit more attention. Yeah, a little bit more QA before. Yeah. I feel like it's been a while since we have said that an opera category just kind of hit all of the standards but this one hit all of the standards every single one of them yes <laughs> every single one four hundred dollar level was la boheme the 800 was placido domingo um playing cyrano de bergerac the 1200 level was the toreador song from carmen we had a daily double in there the two thousand dollar level was philip glass's einstein on the beach which i've talked about before and is fairly common on jeopardy so it was nice. It's good to remind you of the things that you really got to have down. Speaking of the Daily Double in the opera category, uh, we find that at the $1,600 level, pick number six. Michael's just getting right in there with the opera clues. Good for mm -hmm. him. He's at 10600 at this point, with Aaron at 1800 and Ron at 6400 He wagers 2000 and he gets the clue. Benjamin Britten composed the music for an opera based on this sailor who shared Ben's initials. And Michael can't come up with anything. He ends up saying, who is Bertolt Brecht, which earns him a chuckle. Billy <laughs> Bud, the Herman Melville novella, I guess. Yeah. Is it a novella? Is it a long short story? Is it? A, I think it's oh, a novella. Yeah. 
Google claims that it is a, I don't know. It 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 doesn't have a definition. It defies definition. Uh, sure. Wikipedia Wikipedia defines it as a novella. Um, All right. So we'll go with that. All right. Good on you, Wiki. And Daily Double Number Three is in Tech Talk at the two thousand dollar level. It's at the nineteenth pick. Ron also finds this one. He's at ninety six hundred. Michael's at twelve thousand six hundred. Aaron is way back at fourteen hundred. He wagered three thousand. Gets a clue this word from the Greek for life and measure enabled Apple to introduce face ID on the iPhone X. And he guesses what is haptics. Yeah, Um, with a long delay. He was working for it, but he just didn't get there. Yeah, that's biometrics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Michael is in a lock game at 17,800. Aaron's at 2,600. Ron's at 8,200. And the final Jeopardy category is American musicians. And the clue... Also an author, this singer who had five top 40 hits in the 1970s was called the Pirate Laureate. For a minute, I was like, this can't be the right. It can't be him. But who else could it be? I Uh, couldn't figure it out. I was stumped. I didn't get that. Oh, that that beach life, you know. Aaron got it correct with who is Buffett? Jimmy Buffett. And wagered all 2,600. Ron got it incorrect, said who is Bob Dylan. Gave a shout out to Colin and Naomi. Wagered nothing. And Michael also got it correct with who is Jimmy Buffett, also wagered nothing. Good old Jimmy Buffett, recently departed. Forever in our hearts. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. that brings us to Thursday, February 1. This is the first game of a two-day total point affair for the Group 1 Champions Wild Card Final. The contestants are Michael Mankus, a data analyst from Kansas City, Missouri, Andy Terrell, a political science and international relations professor from San Diego, California, and Juveria Zahir, a psychiatrist from Whitby, Ontario, Canada. With the Jeopardy round categories Mountain High from the French, Bonds of Commonality, Rap Words and Phrases, Nonfiction, and I Like the Cut of Your Job. That's all about cutting. Yeah. Cutting of various kinds mm-hmm. in various professions. I thought the $600 was maybe too hard. This word for a type of cut used by chefs is from French for round. They had a picture of somebody cutting like slices of, I don't know, zucchini or something. That's a rondelle. Nobody tried it. Mm. Mm. I don't think I would have like ventured a guess for a French word. Mm -hmm. Michael really went for it with the rap words and phrases. He didn't quite run the category because Juveria got in there at the end, got Mm -hmm. the $200 level. But the other four, including a daily double, were his. It was all Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Leadville has come up a lot yeah. in Jeopardy. Yeah. And on the podcast also, because we because we note it. Right. But well, I mean, yeah. it is it is near-ish to me. So I feel yeah. like, like pointing it out every time. The $400 mm-hmm. level of Mountain High. The highest point in the Rockies is 14,440 foot Mount Albert, southwest of Leadville in this state. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Colorado. Michael yeah. Down. I knew it because we've talked about it. So, mm-hmm. yay, I'm learning. I also awesome. am, I don't even watch like any HGTV or any of that, but the $600 level of nonfiction, just because I am in my late 30s, it's been somehow absorbed into my brain. She recently released volume three of her Magnolia Table cookbooks. They had a picture of her and I was like, that's Joanna Gaines. And I was like, how do I even know that? But it was. Oh, yeah. It was Joanna, Joanna Gaines. Gaines. Nobody For tried sure. it. Yeah. They must not... I don't know what to say other than like good for them. <laughs> be around HGTV. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Daily Double number one is down at the bottom of rap words and phrases. $1,000 level. Pick number four. Michael finds it. He is at 1800 Javeri is at 800 Andy's at zero. And he wagers 1800 and he gets the clue. Thug Passion, a cocktail that's one part Alizé and one part Crystal, is referenced on this rapper's 1996 album, All Eyes on Me. And he gets correct with who is Tupac. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Javeri's at 2400 Andy's at 3800 and Michael is in the lead at 7200 Double Jeopardy categories are Follow the World Leader, Brainy Quotes, Two-letter words, I'm so wavy, N, science, with N in quotation marks, and Canadians invade our living room. Ken says Javeri is part of the problem. (laughs) Javeri gave a very funny interview on this game also. Hmm. Ken asked, he noted that she's made it from the second chance to the wild card finals and is potentially bound for the tournament of champions. And, you know, what are her ambitions there? And she said to not be weird in front of Ray Lalonde. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or to avoid Ray Lalonde because she's afraid she'll make it weird. But then she said, oh, well, maybe with this interview, I already have. <laughs> well, there you go. It's not like it's going out on national television for everyone yeah. to see. So uh-huh. she doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's great. I knew a few of the Canadians invade our living room, which Juveria did well. And nobody knew the $800 level. One of the kids in the hall, Mark McKinney, had the memorable ability to do this devastating action to strangers at a distance crushing their head you like line up your yeah. your fingers and you know it looks like you're crushing their head yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I forgot that it was crushing and said squishing but i don't think it had to be a direct quote i think they would have taken i Any don't know kind of verb yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah i think i would have done the motion mm-hmm. had i been mm-hmm. on stage for sure for sure yeah ken did when he gave the response of course michael and juveria both got a lot of correct responses in here. Andy was in there as well, but I think, you know, Juveria and Michael were really pretty strong on the buzzer here was my my impression. Yeah. Daily Double number two is pick number three of the round. It's in N Science at the $1,600 level. Juveria finds it. At this point, she's at 4000 Andy's at 5000 Michael's at 7200 She makes it a true Daily Double. And she gets the clue. It's the study of the kidneys. And she knows that's nephrology. She goes up to 8,000, takes the lead. And then daily double number three is just a few picks later at pick number six, the $800 level of follow the world leader. And Javeria also uncovers it. She's up to 11,200 at this point. Andy's mm-hmm. at 5,000. Michael's at 7,200. And she makes it another true daily double. She bets it all, which I like. I mean, it's early enough in the round and it's an $800 clue. And the other contestants' scores are, you know, decent, but not insurmountable. No, no, no. they're catching. You can can get from zero to competing with somebody who's at 7,200 with 24 clues left in Double Jeopardy. Right, especially like the the higher dollar values. Mm -hmm. So she gets the clue. She followed Gosarilal Nanda in 1966 and Charan Singh in 1980. And she gets it correct with who is Indira Gandhi. Mm Mm-hmm. And And, that puts her way in the lead. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Michael keeps trying to catch up and he he does a very respectable job. But the game dynamics graph is wild because she Mm -hmm. just got her total up so high so early. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Juveria has made it up to 34,000. 
Michael is at 16,400, which is an excellent score, especially given that he had one daily double where he was only able to pick up 1,800 bucks. And Andy's at 7,400. This is a two-day total point affair, though. So, you Mm -hmm. know, we're not just going for the win. There's some strategy here. And nobody's nobody can be counted out at this point. The final Jeopardy category is geography. And the clue is the first city in Australia with a municipal government. This state capital bears the name of a queen. Andy gets it correct with what is Adelaide. And he's wagered everything. That brings him up to 14,800. Michael tried what is Alice Springs. Is that a thing? Is that an Australian place? Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. It's not a capital, though. Yeah. He also wagered everything, so he's going to drop to zero. And Juveria tried what is Melbourne. She's wagered 14,000. She drops down to 20,000. So her lead has decreased quite a bit. Quite Um, a bit. Yeah. Andy is $5,200 behind her as we go into Friday. Yep. So that brings us to Friday, which is the second game in our two-day total point affair. Don't need to recap the contestants because they're the same ones that we literally just talked about. So the Jeopardy round categories are just playing a long session of Monopoly, (laughs) etch and sketch, a successful operation, the game of life, and building in Lago. Rather than Legos. Legos, yeah. $200 level of successful operation made me think of last week. Pliny the Elder mentions Scipio Africanus was born through this surgical delivery method. Javeri got that. That's cesarean section. So was, Mm -hmm. what, Macduff, right? Yes. Yeah. We had a fun talk about that last week. Yes, we did. Just brought me back. Um, I wish that there had been a triple stumper at the $800 level of a long session of Monopoly. In the 1400s, the Germans led the league in having a near monopoly in the Baltic's long-distance trade. This league, specifically. That's the Hanseatic League. Javeri got that. And that's as much as I know about the Hanseatic League, is that it was like German and a while ago. I wish that they'd given me an excuse to learn more about it, but now I just have to do it on my own. I can't believe it. Yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, (laughs) I don't really know anything about that. But if Kyle researches it for me (laughs) and explains it, then I would know more. Oh, well. Alas, it's not the topic. Yeah, we had Van Gogh at the $200 level of etch and sketch. In a letter from 1888, he included a sketch of his bedroom at Arles, the painting he was working on. They had an image which should remind folks of Van Gogh, but also Arles is... It's going to be Van Gogh, generally. And Michael got that one. Probably because he listened to my deep dive. Probably. Van Gogh is pretty obscure otherwise. Yeah. You know. Who's ever heard of him? I mean, all the listeners of the podcast now. Yeah. I have no metric for how gettable this was, but the triple stumper at the $800 level of building in Lagos, two front doors are separated by a narrow hall in Face Me, I Face You buildings, a phrase from this blended language. At Nigerian Pigeon English. Is that a thing that people know? I think they were just looking for the word pigeon, maybe. Okay. Okay. Because, I mean, yeah, like I understand pigeon being like the term for a blended language. Yeah. But I felt like I was just missing something entirely in the sense of like 
I don't know, is, is the term Nigerian pigeon English a commonly known term? And I just have never seen it in connection to anything. Yeah. Pigeon and Creole and Patois are all different, like, blended languages, and I don't really understand the difference between them. So I think I I think that I would have known that it was probably pigeon, but maybe Creole, like Nigerian Creole doesn't sound right. But I think I might have hesitated to say pigeon or pigeon English without, you know, kind of knowing more specifically about what each of those indicates. Mm. Daily Double number one is in a successful operation at the $1,000 level, and Juveria finds it at pick number two. She's at 800 everybody else is at zero, because it's just the second pick. And she gets the clue, part of biliary surgery, the operation to remove this, now one of the most common, was first done by Dr. Langenbuck in 1882. She tries what is a cyst. That is a common surgery, but mm-hmm. gallbladder is what they were looking for here. Yeah. Yeah. Biliary and the connection with bile might have been helpful in figuring yeah. that out. Probably. Yeah. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Juveria has nevertheless taken the lead with 6,200. Mm-hmm. Andy's at 2,000. Michael's at 2,800. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Talking about Tolkien, we've got history, Billboard's 500 best pop songs. Weights and Measures, Exploring U.S. Cities, and Delicious Before and After. I love a before and after category. I do too. These were all kind of easy, except for I couldn't remember the movie at the $2,000 level and neither could the contestants. Blue cheese accompanied poultry products that are on the marquee as a Vim Vendors film. That's Buffalo Wings of Desire. I was put off by the $1,200. Vernal tubular Chinese appetizer that is also a casual bit of canoodling in the barn. A spring roll in the hay. I don't, I don't know. It just, it makes, it makes me feel sticky. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Un- yeah. Just, mm, yeah. Not a, not a fan. Yeah. Thought this was a family show. Yeah. Come on now. And Jennings. <laughs> we talked about the $1,600 level of We've Got History, an estimated 36,000 people in and around Indonesia lost their lives due to the eruption of this volcano in 1883. That's Krakatoa. Michael got that one. And Kyle, you did a deep dive about that. I did. I did indeed. Some time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to tell. Hard to remember how, how long ago at this point. Yeah. Time is a flat shackle. It's true. As uh, Jeremy Veramy. Andy's wrong response at the $2,000 level of talking about Tolkien gave Juveria the answer to the $400 level. I thought that was fun. The $2,000 level, Humphrey Carpenter's bio of J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis and Like-Minded Friends has this title, like their literary circle. Andy tried, what is the Oxford group? Nobody came up with the correct response, which is the Inklings. But then... At the very end of the round, 18 clues later, they come to the $400 level from 1925 to 1959. J.R.R. Tolkien was a popular language and literature professor at this university. And Juveria rings in and says Oxford and then turns to thank Andy for, you know, supplying or confirming Hmm. that bit of information earlier in the round. Yeah. 
Daily Double number two is in exploring U.S. cities at the $1,600 level. It's also the second pick of this round. Andy finds it. He is at 2,000. Javeri is at 6,200. Michael's at 800. He bets it all and gets the clue. Area 15 in Las Vegas houses art installations originally built for this annual festival held in the Black Rock Desert. And he gets it correct with what is Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is at the $1,600 level of weights and measures. Pick number 19 and Michael finds this one. So that is one daily double for each contestant. That's Aww. fun. They're sharing them so nicely. Michael's at 3,600 tied with Andy. And Juveria is ahead at 7,800. Michael makes it a true daily double, which is absolutely the right call. And he gets the clue. This unit of force named for a 17th century man is equal to about 0.225 pound force. And he gets it correct. It's a Newton. Yep. So going into Final Jeopardy, the scores are not nearly as wild as they were yesterday. Juveria is at 11,800. Andy's at 4,400. And Michael's at 13,200. But because of the scores from yesterday, Javeria is in a tournament lock position because neither Andy nor Michael can make enough to be able to catch her if she bets nothing. So mm-hmm. it's not not the most exciting in terms of wagering, but we get the final Jeopardy category, Army Technology, and the clue bearing the name of a man who died in Iowa in 1838. These began service in 1979, and today number in the thousands. There were some decent guesses here, I thought, but not correct. This ended up being a triple stumper. Andy put, what are Hummers? Guessing that might be named after someone. It's not correct. He wagered all 4,400 drops to zero. Javeri didn't offer a guess, so maybe she was going for like a stealth fighter plane, and that was the the joke. Oh, yeah. She just Mm -hmm. couldn't see it. And wagered nothing, because I think she did the math. It would seem like something Javeria would do. And Michael wrote, what are Sherman? And crossed those out because he had to know that Sherman didn't die in 1838 and went with Abrams tanks, which is, I mean, coming up with a army technology, that's not a bad guess. That's also incorrect. He wagered 10,401. They were looking for Black Hawk helicopters. So yeah, like I said, as we were going into Final Jeopardy, foregone conclusion that Javeria completes her Cinderella story coming from second chance to wild card to tournament of champions. But I got to say, of any of the contestants that we have seen so far, it does not surprise me. She is just incredibly solid. Yeah. Great player. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see how she does in this upcoming tournament. All right. So that's the end of the week, which means that it is time to pander. Just kidding. To remind (laughs) you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables you can go there to find a way to support us financially if you so desire some of you might be saying but well maybe i don't want to in which case it is on you to find a sponsor for us so that you don't have to and if you're not willing to do that then maybe you should just go to patreon and give us money just kidding (laughs) open it hot today Sorry, it was, it was really, really aggressive of me. I, I apologize. I don't really think that you're doing enough just by listening to us, just by just by downloading it. You don't yeah. even need to listen to the whole episode. You just give us that download and it makes us feel all, all warm and fuzzy. So, But for those of you who are giving on a monthly basis to support us, we appreciate it very much. It helps us just maintain a even financial standing for this podcast. You can find some exclusive content there too if you are looking for it. That's where you'd find it. 
Again, that's patreon.com slash potent popples. And of course, we don't want to talk about you giving us money without recognizing that there are better things than a podcast to give money to. And you can find some of the things that we think are good in our show notes. Mm-hmm. So Emily, what do you think we're going to talk about in the deep dive? I think we're going to talk about Black Hawk helicopters or Black Hawk, the we historical figure. going to talk about Black Hawk. Yay. Got it, got it uh, in yeah, one. I'd, Got it in one. I mean, it was a missed final Jeopardy. You kind of got to, you know, it's the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about Blackhawk helicopters really at all. Like, I'll briefly mention them for like a sentence or two. But I want to talk about Blackhawk and the Blackhawk War, which you may not know that there was a Blackhawk War. I did not. So there we go. It's a part of American history and probably not the most talked about. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Sounds great. I don't feel like I need to read the, the clue again. So I'm going to jump right into it. Black Hawk was a leader of the Sauk Indians. They're from the Eastern Woodlands Culture Group, and they live primarily in the area of that is now Green Bay, Wisconsin, or at least they did when they were first encountered by the French in the 1660s. They are part of the Algonquian language people, and they are known to have been around the Great Lakes area. Some historians believe that they migrated into eastern Michigan and settled around Saginaw Bay. In fact, the word Saginaw comes from the Ojibwe word for land of the socks or where the socks were. When I say sock, it's spelled S-A-U-K in English. Obviously, that's not like the language that they used, but that's the, the way we anglicize it. Blackhawk was a Sauk leader. He was born in 1767, and he died in 1838. He was not a hereditary civil chief of the Sauk, but he was an important figure, sometimes referred to as a war chief or maybe a war captain, depending on the historian you're talking about. And his father was a medicine man from whom he inherited a sacred bundle, which in that tradition is a collection of symbolically or spiritually significant objects that a person of importance is tasked with, you know, taking care of. So in his early life, he was born in the village of Sokanook on the Rock River, which is in present-day Rock Island, Illinois. Like I said, his father, PSL, was the tribal medicine man. There's not a lot known about his youth. He was said to be a descendant of a former Sauk chief named Nanamaki, who had possibly met Samuel de de Champlain way back when. When he was around the age of 15, he distinguished himself in battle by wounding an enemy and was placed in the ranks of the Braves. Shortly after that, he went on a raid against the Osage, and he won approval by killing and scalping his first enemy. He continued to go on other raids throughout his youth. At about age 19, he led 200 men in a battle against the Osage, in which he had a number of kills, and soon after joined his father in a raid against the Cherokee along the Merrimack River in Missouri. His father died from wounds received in that battle, at which point Blackhawk inherited the Sauk sacred bundle, giving him an important role in the tribe. After the period of mourning his father, he resumed leading raiding parties usually targeting their traditional enemy of the Osage uh, tribe. He didn't belong to a clan that provided the Sauk with hereditary civil chiefs, 
and his status was achieved through his military prowess. During the War of 1812, Blackhawk, who by this point was 45 years old, served as the war leader of a sock band uh, at their village of Sakanuk, which fielded about 200 warriors. Previous to this, back in 1804, there had been a disputed treaty, the Treaty of St. Louis, which was signed between the Sauk and Fox Nations and the governor of Indiana Territory, William Henry Harrison, that ceded a good deal of their territory to the United States. Now, most of the Sauk did not recognize the validity of that treaty because they had sent a representative named Kwashkwame, but that representative did not have their like traditional authority to make that decision because the Sauk were a consensus clan. Decisions needed to be made in consensus. They, you know, there wasn't power vested in just the chief to say, yeah, I can just like give away all your land. So that, that caused a lot of tension between Black Hawk and Kwashkwame, who was like the civil chief of the tribe. However, it never like came to blows. Like they dealt with each other. Okay. It just was very clear that he was on the side of, we don't support this these settlers are trying to take our land. And so when the War of 1812 started up, Blackhawk and uh, his group of fighters, along with a number of other Native American tribes, aligned themselves with the British to fight against you know, the, the American army and forces. A, a good amount of the fighters came from Native American tribes, in part because Great Britain was currently engaged in the Napoleonic Wars, so they didn't have a lot to send over, <laughs> like across the ocean, because they had to, you know, deal with stuff back home. And so they turned to their native allies for a lot of the work that they did. Blackhawk was commissioned by Robert Dixon, who was a Scottish fur trader that somehow became a British officer. He was commissioned at the rank of Brevet Brigadier General and was given command over all the native allies at Green Bay, which included the Sauk warriors, as well as Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, Kickapoo, and Ottawa fighters. They engaged in a number of engagements alongside Major General Henry Proctor on the borders of Lake Erie. He was at the Battle of Frenchtown, Fort Meigs, the attack on Fort Stevenson. However, during this time, the United States Army was able to inflict a significant defeat on Tecumseh's Confederacy by killing Tecumseh, who was another a Shawnee chief and leader who we probably have heard of. And that would be an entirely different deep dive to talk about to Tecumseh. Mm. But the Tecumseh's Confederacy was a like an alliance of many nations around the, the Great Lakes. And they were, of course, opposed to the United States. He quit the war soon after that Blackhawk did and returned home where he found out that his rival Keokuk had become the tribe's war chief. Blackhawk then, realizing that he didn't really have much of a place there, rejoined the British and went in a, a couple more battles, including the Battle of Credit Island and Fort Johnson. He also fought at the Battle of Sinkhole, or Battle of the Sinkhole in Missouri, which was actually fought after the end of the war. Kind of like the Battle of New Orleans, Blackhawk and his Sock warriors were not informed that the war had actually ended when they engaged a group of Missouri Rangers. So I mentioned the 1804 treaty that led the American government to believe that the Sauk and Fox tribes had ceded their lands in Illinois and 
after the War of 1812 and the defeat of Tecumseh, they were moved west of the Mississippi River in 1828. As I said before, they disputed the treaty, but they, they didn't have much to, to back up against the, the power of the American military. In 1830 and 1831, Black Hawk led a number of incursions across the Mississippi back into Illinois, but he was persuaded to return west each time without bloodshed. That was until April 1832, when he was encouraged by the promises of alliances with other tribes and with Britain, he moved his so-called British band of more than 1,500 people, which were both warriors and non-combatants, back across the river into Illinois. They were called the British band, like the Americans called them that because they were aligned with Britain, I guess. The reasoning is not very clear, but it's referring to Black Hawk's group of, of Sauk natives which included about 500 warriors and about 1,000 non-combatants, old men, women, and children. After crossing the river and finding that there were actually no allies over there, he tried to return to Iowa, but the Illinois militia, who were apparently not very well trained, provoked an open attack at what became the Battle of Stillman's Run. A num number of other violent engagements followed, and the governors of Michigan Territory and Illinois mobilized their militias to hunt down Blackhawk and his band. This conflict became known as the Blackhawk War. This was also the last Native American war fought east of the Mississippi River. As the war progressed, factions of other tribes joined, including a group of Ho-Chunk, who turned out actually acted independent of their main, like their primary clan, because the Ho-Chunk were generally on friendly terms with the United States. And that, that particular group of Ho-Chunk Indians committed what became known as the St. Vrain Massacre, where they essentially murdered Indian agent Felix St. Vrain, along with his companions as they were just delivering dispatches along the river. The war stretched from April to August 1832 with a number of battles, skirmishes, and massacres on both sides. It included the Battle of Wisconsin Heights, and the final battle, which was known as the Battle of Bad Axe, uh, is at the mouth of Bad Axe River when the American soldiers, their Indian allies, and a U.S. gunboat killed hundreds of Sauk and Potawatomi men, women, and children. After that, Black Hawk and the Potawatomi leader that he was with asked to surrender to Indian agent Joseph Street, but instead were taken to Zachary Taylor. And then they ended up, I don't know how this turn of events happened, they ended up surrendering to Lieutenant Jefferson Davis, future president of the Confederacy, at an unnamed river in the Mississippi. So after the Black Hawk War, most of Black Hawk's, you know, clan, the British band, were killed or captured or disbanded. Black Hawk, Nia Pope, White Cloud, and eight other Native American leaders were taken prisoner. After eight months in St. Louis, they were taken east as ordered by President Jackson. And they were taken by steamboat, carriage, railroad, and everywhere they went, they were met with large crowds. Jackson's purpose here was to impress these leaders with the power and, like, vastness of the United States. In Washington, D.C., they met with Jackson and Secretary of War Lewis Cass, uh, and then they were held prisoner at Fortress Monroe for only a few weeks, during which time they posed for portraits. Then they were sent by steamboat back out west on a securitous route that took them through many of the large cities, including Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York. In the eastern cities, they were just greeted by huge crowds of people who were just interested in the spectacle. As they went further west, the crowds were 
less friendly, for instance, in Detroit, uh, crowd burned and hanged effigies of the prisoners. Blackhawk dictated his autobiography toward the end of his captivity in 1833 to Antoine Leclerc, who was a, a government interpreter. And then uh, Leclerc basically gave his notes to local reporter J.B. Patterson, who turned it into a, like a published book. It became a bestseller immediately and has gone through numerous editions. Some people who might have just disliked Blackhawk or been skeptical for other reasons didn't view it as authentic, but Blackhawk supposedly did confirm its authenticity to other sources. After his tour of the East, he lived with the Sauk along the Iowa River and later the Des Moines River near Iowaville in what is now Southeast Illinois. He would occasionally attend council meetings between the Sox and the Foxes and the federal government, but he had no real power or influence. And at the end of his life, he tried to reconcile both with American settlers and his Sox rivals, including Keokuk. He spent some time living among the white settlers, for instance, in Burlington, Iowa, in the home of businessman and legislator Jeremiah Smith Jr. In 1838, which was the year of his death, he made an address at Fort Madison and I'll read the whole passage. It says, It has pleased the great spirit that I am here today. I have eaten with my white friends. The earth is our mother. We are now on it. And the great spirit above us, it is good. I hope we are all friends here. A few winters ago, I was fighting against you. I did wrong, perhaps, but that is past. It is buried. Let it be forgotten. Rock River was a beautiful country. I liked my towns, my cornfields, and the home of my people. I fought for it. It is now yours. Keep it as we did. It will produce you good crops. I thank the great spirit that I am now friendly with my white brethren. We are here together. We have eaten together. We are friends. It is his wish and mine. I thank you for your friendship. I was once a great warrior. I am now poor. Keokuk has been the cause of my present situation, but I do not attach blame to him. I am now old. I have looked upon the Mississippi since I have been a child. I love the great river. I have dwelt upon its banks from the time I was an infant. I look upon it now. I shake hands with you. And as it is my wish, I hope that you are my friends. He then died on October 3rd, 1838, after two weeks of illness. He was buried on the farm of his friend, James Jordan, on the north bank of the Des Moines River. However, in July 1839, his remains were stolen by a man named James Turner, who prepared a skeleton for exhibition. Blackhawk's sons, Nashashuk and Gamaset, went to the uh, governor of the Iowa Territory, who used his influence to bring the bones to security in his offices in Burlington. And with Blackhawk's son's permission, they were kept at the Burlington Geological and Historical Society until the society building burned down in 1855, at which point Blackhawk's remains were destroyed. Which is like, of course. There is a, an alternative account that his bones actually passed to a guy named Enos Lowe, who then left him to a partner, who then moved to California and claims they're buried in a potter's grave but whatever. Blackhawk did have a wife. It's not that she wasn't important, but she was known as Ashiwakwa, or Singing Bird. He had five children with them. His oldest son and youngest daughter died in the same year before 1820, and he mourned their passing and following Sok tradition, which was two years of mourning, living alone and fasting. His other children were a daughter named Namakwa, running fawn, and his sons Nashishuk and Gamaset. We have his autobiography, right, as dictated to Antoine Leclerc from 1833. 
There's a notable sculpture by Laredo Taft that overlooks the Rock River in Oregon, Illinois. That is commonly known as the Black Hawk statue. It's called the Eternal Indian, but it's, it's called the Black Hawk statue. According to a widespread myth, Olympic gold medal winning athlete Jim Thorpe was said to be descended from Black Hawk. Not sure that's actually true. He was a member of the Sock and Fox Nation. So, who knows? There are a lot of things named after him, as the clue kind of mentioned. Plenty of places, right? Black Hawk County, Iowa, Black Hawk Bridge, Black Hawk Purchase, lots of schools, apparently. The Black Hawk helicopter is, is the Sikorsky 60. Sikorsky is the, the company that makes them. Uh, UH-60 is like the classification name. It's the Black Hawk. It's a four-blade twin-engine medium-lift utility helicopter used by the U.S. military and many armed forces around the world. The University of Iowa uses the Hawkeye as its like mascot, and Iowa is known as a Hawkeye State, which is based on the character from Last of the Mohicans, but is apparently also, in a way, honoring of Chief Black Hawk. Of course, we have the Chicago Blackhawks, the National Hockey League team. There have been four United States Navy vessels named USS Blackhawk, as well as one Liberty ship in 1943, named Blackhawk. So yeah, there's some information about Blackhawk and the Blackhawk War. Awesome. Thank you. I knew nothing about this. Like, I'd heard of the helicopters, but didn't know where they got their name. And this has been very informative. So yeah, thanks. You are welcome. Yeah. So are you ready for a quiz? Yes, I'm ready for a quiz. Okay, this quiz is based on Black Hawk or Black Hawk. There you go. Okay. Question one. The Chicago Blackhawks are one of many teams that have faced outcry over their use of Native Americans or Native American imagery. I just wanted to recognize that, but this is actually a hockey question. The Blackhawks were on the six original teams in the National Hockey League from 1942 to 1967. I say six original, quote-unquote. There were teams before 1942, but that's an entirely different story. For two points each, give me the name or city of the other five teams. And for one point each, I'll give you the city and you provide the team name. Ooh. Huh. Or maybe I'll give you the team name and you give me the city. I'll give you one of the two. Okay. If that, would, if that feels more All right. I have no idea which teams were the original ones. Let me try a couple. Sure. All right. As always, yeah, I, I am terrified that I'm about to say a team of the wrong sport. <laughs> no worries. Uh, I will say Red that Wings. one of them. Okay. Detroit Red Wings is correct. You All right. I don't actually know whether the home team of my youth is one of the original ones, but the hockey culture runs deep. So I'm going to try it. The Boston Bruins. Boston Bruins is correct. Ooh, okay. Okay. Where else do they really like hockey? Canada. They like hockey in Canada. <laughs> I was like, come on, you got to know this. at least. I can't remember all the Canadian teams, though. 
the, sure, that's fine. But like, where do they like hockey? It's like the answer is Canada. Yeah, no, Canada. They like <laughs> hockey in Canada. The only team that I'm remembering with certainty that I'm thinking of a hockey team is the Edmonton Oilers, which I'm skeptical about whether that was one of the first teams. But you know what? I, I've hit two so far. So let's let's go for it. I'll say Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton Oilers is not correct. Okay. All right. So now it's time for me to start asking you for, am I asking you for team names or am I asking you for cities? You give me the team name and hopefully I'll figure out the city. All right. (laughs) Okay. The other three team names are Maple Leafs, Rangers, Canadians. Okay. The Rangers are New York. The Rangers are New York. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs? It is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto. Toronto. Sorry. You don't pronounce the second T, apparently. And the Montreal Canadiens. It is the Montreal Canadiens. Known as Le Havs for some reason. Hmm. And every time I hear someone refer to them as the Havs, I think they're saying the Avs, which are the Avalanche which are my team, but it confuses mm-hmm. me every yeah. time. But you did it, yes. The quote-unquote original six. Chicago Blackhawks, Boston Bruins, Detroit Red Wings, Toronto Maple Leafs, New York Rangers, and Montreal Canadiens. I, I thought about saying New York Rangers, and I was like, no, Emily, you can't just name your local teams. But <laughs> I mean, if you're in the Northeast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And important to note that it is the toronto maple leaves not maple leaves yeah just so you know all right Mm -hmm. cool well you got seven points you got most of them hey job not bad and you got 10 for getting the the deep dive right so you're already at 17 question two sorry but it's another sports question in the inaugural season of the nba the tri-cities blackhawks represented the area of the illinois-iowa border that now includes davenport rock island and moline among other municipalities That team then moved to Milwaukee in 1951 and dropped the first half of their name, then went to St. Louis in 1955, before settling for good so far in what southern city? If it helps, their NFL team is also a bird. What southern city and their NFL team is also a bird? I know that I know this, and yet it's not coming to me. But I think I can get there. All right. I just keep coming back to the Carolina Panthers, which are not a bird. Specifically not. Generally not a bird. If it only should I think it might be Atlanta. I think I remember noticing that they were both birds, although for whatever reason, I can't place the NFL team. But I think I'd better go with it. I'm going to say Atlanta. Atlanta, you got it. Yay! Atlanta. Yes, the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Falcons are the football team. Yeah, that's right. Very nice. Emily, look at that. You you basically got two sports questions. I did. Congratulations. Yeah. Good good job. Like, yeah, you got 27 points. Okay. All right, question three. Often considered the darkest of materials, what coating is comprised of vertically aligned nanotube arrays, which are grown from a chemical vapor deposition process. 
The name is technically trademarked by Surrey Nanosystems Limited. And the name sort of sounds like a high-end or edgy licorice variety of a fruity Coca-Cola subsidiary. Fruity That's subsidiary. just trying to come up with some kind of clue. Okay. Uh, other than the actual information. It's like one of the darkest materials. I feel like I've heard of it, but I don't remember its name. So I'm going to try and follow Fruity Coca-Cola subsidiary, which I think there's a ton of Coca-Cola subsidiaries out there, but maybe it's Fanta. That does seem... Fanta Black, I feel like, is maybe ringing a bell, so I'm going to go with that. I need you to pronounce it less clearly. Fanta Black. Yeah, it sounds, that it, sounds close. Yeah. It, 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 it's Vanta Black with a V. Vanta But I'll take it. Oh, oh I'll okay. take it. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. You got very close. I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, it sounded like a V to me on this side of the microphone. Vanta is the like acronym for vertically aligned nanotube arrays. Uh, oh. Which is where it gets its I name from. I even wrote out all those words in that order. <laughs> Well, and then go. moved right on. So you knew what you were doing. You knew <laughs> yeah. what you were doing. Yes, Vanta Black is so black that it makes three-dimensional objects appear two-dimensional. Ah, that's fun. Wild. Yeah. All right, you're at 37 points. Question four. Hawk. I've only ever heard the term in Hawk during games of Monopoly while my father's ruthless capitalism traumatized me. What does it mean if you or something your own is in hawk? What does it mean? Like that you mortgaged it or pawned? Also, I've heard it for pawned items. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's been pawned or you are indebted or, you know, something to do with pawning or mortgaging or being in debt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently it comes from the Dutch for prison. Huh. From like debtor's prison. And so like. If you hawk something, it's so that you can pay your debt to stay out of hawk, right? Yeah, I've I've only ever encountered that term playing Monopoly against my dad. Huh. Um, I have encountered it elsewhere, although I can't place where exactly. But yeah. Well, there you go. You're at 47 points. Question five. The towns of Black Hawk and Central City are the only places in Colorado outside of sovereign native lands where organized gambling is legal. In fact, we can't even legally play online poker for real money. And that's not just Colorado, that's almost the entire United States, since the Southern District Court of New York ruled in the 2011 case United States versus Scheinberg. The ruling essentially stated that companies cannot legally accept money for gambling over the internet. The decision was read on April 15th, and the online poker community quickly gave the day a name reminiscent of other financial events, one from October 1923, and one more precisely that occurs every year in November. What is that name? Is it Black Friday? It is Black Friday. Yes. In the online poker world, Black Friday refers to the day that Poker stars and the other two big online poker companies stopped operating in the United States. Mm. Yeah. They threw down a bunch of rules about it. And because of those rules, banks were like, yeah, we're just not going to deal with that. So, like, if you have a credit card through a bank, like, you can't 
put money in there with a credit card. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it became very, very difficult to, to do from that point on. So, yeah. Which also brings into question, like, all of the sports betting that is now possible on apps on your phone. Mm-hmm. Took a lot of lobbying, apparently, and a lot of, a lot of negotiation to get the rule changed to allow that kind of gambling over the internet. So who knows? Maybe online poker will be back sometime. Anyway, you are at 57 points and our final category is helicopters. I don't like that. I'll say helicopters and deities. Oh, do I like that more or less? Um, I was hoping that we were going to go for the etymology of the word helicopter, but I think we've talked about that on the podcast. We we have, and I I got rid of that question because we have. Yeah. All right. Let's say 43 points. I'll go for 100. Sounds good. Here we go. Final question. This one should be easy for a pastor such as yourself. The main rotor retaining nut and its attached lock pin are often referred to by what slang term? It means that if a single item were to fail mid-flight, the only option you have left is to pray specifically to someone. Is it a Hail Mary? Oh, no, it's not Hail Mary. It's the Jesus pin or the Jesus (laughs) nut. All right. Well, Hail Mary was a good guess. Hail Mary was a very good guess. And I feel bad about writing this question now because that is (laughs) such a good guess. I'm like, oh, damn it. Why didn't I think of that option? And it feels like neg bait. So I'm terribly sorry about that. I fell for the neg bait because I don't know enough about helicopter mechanics. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's the it's the one thing that holds the rotor on on top of Mm. the helicopter. So if that thing goes out, it's like, well, you just you know, your your flying machine has no flying apparatus. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it just that's just it. So it's referred to as the Jesus Jesus Mm -hmm. nut or Jesus pin. And when I was reading the Wikipedia article on Jesus nut, at the top, it says not to be confused with Jesus free. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you did really well on this quiz and the score is just a number. So mm-hmm. I think you, you should be proud of yourself. I, I actually feel pretty good about my performance, despite falling for the egg bait at the very end there. And this was a very fun quiz. And hey, look at you writing sports questions and me answering them. Look at us. We're yeah. sporting so good. Yes. Yes, indeed. We are just sportsy people who are going to watch Taylor Swift's boyfriend play mm-hmm. a football game <laughs> next week. <laughs> anyway, our favorite sport here is Jeopardy. And I don't know what your favorite sport is, listeners, but thanks for listening to us talk about our favorite <laughs> sport slash whatever it is. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute. If you want to check out our Patreon, as we said, it's patreon.com slash And if you have friends who are Jeopardy fans, tell them about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with more Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. <laughs> <laughs>